This is a main hustle media podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the single simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back. Listening to Militantly Mixed. I would like to acknowledge that the Militantly Mixed podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Chumash and the Tongva people, and I wish to pay my respects to the people of those nations, both past and present. Hey y'all, welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, aka Mixed Girl Maine, the busiest mixed race bisexual polyamorous atheist comic book nerd cat mom mask making Gulf Coast Cosmos comic book co-owning Asian American Podcasters Association's Golden Crane Award winning podcaster in this podcasting game. Now, I do have to apologize. You probably would have already heard my other solo drop at this point, but I did miss the, not deadline, but I did miss the schedule return from the um, mental health hiatus in which I was supposed to come back on May the 5th and drop the episode that you're about to hear today. Um, I, you know, I've been saying it. I'm recovering from a concussion, not really doing very well at the moment. Um, And while I did have part of the episode edited, what I realized is that I had a partial audio file edited and it broke off after the 30 minute mark. And I realized it was like a a faulty download. So I had to re-download the audio file and start all over. And by the time Tuesday rolled around, it just wasn't even possible. I thought it would be a day or two late, but last week was just not possible. It was a tremendously busy week um, from all my other stuff, my my job and my comic book shop that I wasn't able to get it done. So it's it's late, but it's here, and um, and I really appreciate that I had the guests that I had. Um, but we were kind of looking forward to dropping her episode on May the 4th, and that just didn't happen. So I am sorry about that. Uh, this episode 135, 135 episodes of Militantly Mixed. And my guest today is Michelle Adams of the Catmast Day Chronicles podcast. Um, I don't know why I didn't look this up before, but I, I think it was in either January or February. I was a guest on her show, and um, and so that's that's my connection to her. That's how that's how I got to know her. Uh, she invited me to be on her show, Catmast Day Chronicles, in which it's it's like an entrepreneurial podcast that happens to also dedicate a a big old chunk of time to the guest cats and um, and talking about cats in general. Which, of course, is right up my alley since I am a uh, hardcore cat parent. And um, and so I just love the concept. I just love the idea of it. And I listened to a couple episodes before I was scheduled to to record. And um, I want to say that I had a I had a, a blast. I just had a blast doing this show. Getting to talk to it's always a pleasure or exciting for me to be able to talk to a fellow mixed black Brit, because especially one that grew up in, in England, because um 
they're a version of me I could have been had I grown up in England since my family is, my dad's side of the family is British. So I always have questions. I want to know what it's like to be a mixed black Brit in, in Britain and where I'm uh, one here in America. And so, um, so that was fun. But it was also great to just get a chance to talk about like my motivations behind doing Gulf Coast Cosmos or doing Militantly Mixed and, um, and then being able to, to, just talk about my cats on a podcast too um, makes me happy as well. So I had a blast doing her show, and um, I, w- I definitely want you all to check it out. While it isn't a show dedicated to mixed race identity, it is hosted by and produced by a mixed race person. So come through, support our cousins doing their things. But there's just a lot to learn. Like the things that motivate people into entrepreneurship is really interesting aspect of that show. Um, one of the episodes I really like was a, a woman that opened up a tea shop in. Dubai and thought that, that that was really intriguing and amazing for a woman, not only a woman, but someone that, um, that had, um, I think she has dual citizenship or she, or she, she at least has citizenship outside of Dubai that I thought that that was really awesome. And then we got to talk about, about her or the, we, they, that I listened to talk about her cats as well. So there's a few episodes on there that are really cool. If you're, if you're inclined towards pet ownership and you just also want to know about people who are managing to balance their pet life with their entrepreneurial life. It's a pretty cool show. So since I've already explained to you on a previous episode what's been going on with Militantly Mix um, and the fact that we are going to go on an extended hiatus again during the summer, uh, while I continue to recover from this concussion that is killing me and just preparing for my life, um, I don't really have much more to say because I'm not going to pitch the Patreon during this time, even though Patreon sponsorship is really how we keep the show going. And I don't really have anything else going on besides work. I'm just working from the time I wake up till the time I go to bed. So I'm just going to dedicate this intro to the guest, uh, Michelle Adams. Also follow her on Instagram on Chatty Cats Care. Uh, that is her um, cat sitting company, which she started solo, but now she has like 13 employees and everything. But they post pictures of cats all the time. Um, but follow her on Instagram because if you especially if you like cats, because it's, it's pretty fun. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming our latest cousin to the Militantly Mix family, Michelle Adams. excited to uh to talk to you again too because usually if i'm a guest on someone's show it's after they've been a guest on mine um but for some reason this year i've been a guest on people's show ahead of them being on mine so i went into your show only knowing what little i knew about you from our exchanges back and forth so i'm excited to to get more into it with you since being on your show. So why don't you introduce yourself to everybody and uh, let's get into it. Sure. Um, Hi, everybody. My name is Michelle Adams. 
and I am from London in the UK, as you can probably hear by my accent. <laughs> um, I met you, Charmaine, in the most common way that people are meeting at the moment, which is via social media. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, like during this lockdown period, it's like it's it's been crazy, but it's been amazing in the sense that I've been able to connect with so many people online from all over the world and it's just been amazing because you get to speak to people that you may never have crossed paths with and I think it's just a great way to connect and stay connected with people um yeah and I think I saw um your page before I saw your podcast and then I saw like some photos with you and your cats and I was like oh my gosh like she's <laughs> and she likes cats no I need to, I need to listen so then I listened to your podcast and then I was like okay now I need to hit her up because I'm intrigued and I need to talk to you and I need to talk to you about cats <laughs> definitely need to hit you up that um, was such a fun experience I can't yeah. Tell you, like when I heard the concept of the sh- of your show at first, I was like, "Oh, that's hella cute." But then actually, once we get on it, I was like, "This is." And like when I listened, I listened to a couple episodes ahead of being on your show. I was like, "This is so much fun." Because like, yeah, you get to know your guest a bit. You do, but yeah. you spend like a big chunk of the show just talking about cats, and I don't get to. I don't use my show that way so people hear about my cats but it was so fun I I loved being a guest on your show oh I'm so glad to hear that yeah it's very niche like there's not a lot of podcasts like mine where like we kind of speak about the guests and whatever they're doing and their ventures and then talk about their pets um so yeah I I don't know how I come up with it but <laughs> it seemed to work and yeah it's, it's going really well and I loved I love 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 recording the episode with you and um so many people have listened to it as well my friends and they've responded really well to it so it's it's really good and I'm glad to have connected with you and finally you know come on to your podcast as a guest which I'm honored to to do because I think it's so important that that mixed race people are given a platform and I love the way you you kind of host the show and the topics that are discussed are are definitely so important and interesting because Mm -hmm. people may you know know or there's lack of education sometimes when it comes to race especially um mixed race people so it's so interesting to to learn more there's actually mixed race studies there's that's something i was actually interested in studying further at degree level because mm. it's just yeah really really interesting it's it's right up my street as we say in the uk right. so yeah my mixed heritage is white british and um, black jamaican mm-hmm. so my father came to the uk around around the similar time as the Windrush period, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, And he came here as a boy um, around, I think, seven years old. Um, And, yeah, he's lived here ever since. uh, And he and my mother met while they were working in a store, in a retail store in the UK, which is called Woolworths, which we no longer have anymore. We used to have those here too. <laughs> Did you? No way. You had that in the US. Yeah, they were here for a minute. Uh, they were here um, uh, earlier than me, and they were starting to run out of business as I was like a se- probably seven, eight years old is when it kind of faded oh, out. Yeah. That's interesting. I never knew that. 
okay that's cool well anyway they met at Woolworths and um then they got together I had my sister and then there was like this huge gap and then a 14 year gap to be precise between me and my sister and then I was born so yeah Um, so one of the things that we we talked about well okay I'll I'll start first with part of your show that I enjoyed is is the niche element right like same when I started my show um, there weren't any active mixed race podcasts there were a Mm. few dead podcasts that had hit like maybe six or twelve episodes and then there were like journalistic ones that i've talked to people about and it was basically just like moderational people talking about mixed race people with the occasional sound bite from an actual mixed person um and it it like angered me (laughs) that we weren't the center of our own of the story that they were even telling about us you know like we weren't centered with even within that story and um it motivated me to finally press the button and 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 hit record on doing this show but what i liked about your show is i think what i like about podcasting in general is whatever your deal is you can make a show about it Mm -hmm. and find a whole bunch of people that are into whatever thing you're into. So what I liked about yours is that there's an entrepreneurial element to it, which of course is something that I'm I'm into. I'm building all these businesses with my podcast and Mm -hmm. the comic books and stuff, but then also just that dedication to cats. And when, when I talk to other cat, uh, other cat people obviously get this, but people who are resistant to cats or don't like cats as much as dogs or whatever the story is, they don't, get like the level of enthusiasm yeah. that a cat parent has like and I didn't get it either when I became one like I I didn't know I was going to fall in love with these little creatures as hardcore as I did to the degree that I have literally ended a friendship because of how their kid treated my cat mm-hmm. and they didn't take me seriously when I kicked them out of my house and once they realized I was legit kicking them out of my house, that ended our friendship. <laughs> so I will 100% prioritize my cat own over any human. Yeah, you did the right thing because I think, yeah, there's lack of education when it comes to people teaching children how to care or treat cats, you know, and yeah. it, it's so important. But also people who are friends with cat people should know them enough and understand mm-hmm. enough how much they love their cat yeah. and that their cat is their baby. And of course, they're going to be upset. Like, right. if cat's not being treated right. Like, also, it's a living being. So like, yeah. I mean, if you're not, if you're really cool about your kid being abusive to an animal, yeah. I, I I don't need you in my space yeah. anyway, let no. alone um, hold a friendship. Um, so that's that was the thing that I really I really enjoyed is that you know you were combining interests of, of things that you know you had going on. Plus, you created a company built around around cats. Um, so I I was just like, you know what, this is this is this is my tribe. It it also <laughs> made me super excited too that you were a mixed Brit because although I'm the American flip of you. I, you know, I also, my, my father's side is British, um, is black, white British. And, uh, and so I have elements of a British heritage just, you know, over here, (laughs) just over here. But like a lot of the phrases you say or phrases I grew up with and things like that. So whenever I do get a chance to, to engage with other, um, specifically mixed Brits, because I think the experience is slightly different, but British people in general, I, there is something extra familiar that that is hard to describe here because um 
you know, because of the accent and everything like that, the British Britishness is very uh, novel. Yes, yes, I can imagine. And focus on royal family and yes, um, absolutely. And there's just things that's like, you know, that's cute and all, but like, also there's these other complicated things about being a British person or a mixed British person that like, I would like to be able to engage with without, you know, without it being like, oh, but it's so cute, the accent, Um, you know, like I, it it drives me nuts. So it's, it's, I like to talk about, about that too. And, And in particular, the um the differences of what it's like to be a mixed brit here and a mixed brit mm. there i think um and the and the reason why i describe myself here as british and not english also a very specific thing yeah. that i'm doing when i'm doing that here um because that's also something i think that americans don't necessarily understand as well yeah 100%, 100%. so i talk like a f- american foreigner I'm American, but both of my grandmothers are from other countries. So I have a mentality that it includes those other spaces. And um, I don't have people that I can talk to about it very often. So I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited about that. Um, but let's get more into you. So you, when um, you and I spoke uh, briefly, I think it was before we started recording on on your episode um, mm-hmm. where we were talking about about like your pre- your appearance and your hair and how mm-hmm. those two things were in conflict for an outside viewer, a monoracial outside viewer, and how they are constantly telling you um, how you get to present <laughs> um, yeah. your mixed heritage. Do you want to, could, do you mind talking a little bit about um, yes. like how, what your appearance is and, and how that, um, how that, how your mixedness is affected by the outside perspective? Yes. So I think I'll start off by, by telling you a bit about where I grew up because I think that's an important part yeah of how I'm viewed as well. So um, London is quite small, but it feels quite big because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people. um, And each part of London in the UK is so very different. And it's so so interesting because um, different um, types of cultures, I don't know if it's, it's probably similar in the US, like um, maybe a certain part of the US is typically predominantly Hispanic, for example. Right. Yeah. So it's like that in the UK. And the part I'll, I'll say it like this, like Los Angeles is probably the closest in terms of segmented communities, okay. e- even differently than than New York, because New York has like certain communities that like this is the Puerto Rican part, but it's also mm-hmm. the black part. This is the yeah. the Russian side. And this is the, like they have those kinds of things. But with 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 Los Angeles and London, there's all these uh, ethnic and, and cultural yes. communities yes. In, in different spaces, but yes. they they have their tourists. They certainly have, like, people from my community will go into the other community and things like that, but they have their hard lines, too, where it's just like, you know that you are entering the Korean part of town. You are entering the Armenian part of town. Yes. And I felt like that's at least my experience of London was like that, is whenever we went someplace, my cousin let me know this is where all the Jamaicans are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you know. Exactly. So it's like that. Whereas I feel like in the US, like a lot of people describe themselves as as African American. Where here, it's very specific. So yes. you're from Jamaica. You're from Barbados. You're from Nigeria. Like mm-hmm. you're not just black. Like we people say who they are and where they're from. That's how they describe themselves. They're like right. I'm Nigerian. They're not like I'm black. They say I'm Nigerian. Right. So it's very much like that in the UK. So when when it comes to America sometimes and we listen to programs and we watch things, we're like, okay, 
But where are they from? But where are they from? <laughs> that's a very distinct American experience across yeah. the, the African diaspora. We're the only people that don't necessarily know where we come from. Yeah. So yeah. we had to pick either go off of color, which isn't obviously accurate, but we, we go with mm. black or we go off of continent because we don't really know um, which countries we come from. For those of us that do know which countries our ancestors come from, um, we usually have to pay for it in some way. Like for mm. me, it cost me about 350 bucks to find that out, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and that's something that I should have had access to. My ancestry should have been available to me through yeah. oral tradition, through paperwork, through something. But, um, but but as an American born descendant of African slave trade, I don't have access to that. And so mm. the power of that erases the what kind of black people are when they do come here. So Nigerians or Jamaicans or Barbadians or, you know, Trinidadians, mm -hmm. like when they come here, they either have to adopt American blackness yeah, or they have to remain an other and almost in opposition to American blackness, which yeah. is a another very American dynamic of of the African diaspora, because I, I didn't get that. I, I haven't spent a whole lot of time in London, but I didn't get that sense. I, I, I got this sense in London that you got to be whatever black you were. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. It is like that. But but going back to to what I was talking about. So my the, the part of London where I grew up was predominantly white, but mm -hmm. also white racist white of course. so um it was it's a very uh like working class area um there was a lot of factories around here it's quite a cockney area it's not yeah. like chelsea for example where people are quite wealthy or well-spoken so it's a very predominantly working class area which is predominantly white um and they would there's a very racist uh, football or soccer club um that is just around where i live as well um and many supporters and members of that soccer club would have something called an nf march which is the national front mm -hmm. i don't know if you've heard of that I, so i've seen the, the video footage on on these before yeah. Actually, it hasn't come up on the show yet either. I've, I've wanted really? to talk to somebody about this, but it hasn't okay. come up yet. So the NF, the National Front, is basically like, a, it's a party. It's a group of people who are like, people def, like describe them as skinheads. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you heard that term either, but yeah. it's predominantly people who kind of like men who shave their heads. They're very much like into soccer hooliganism. Mm -hmm. So they'll like smash bottles. They'll like shout and like start fights on the street or like yeah they're, they're they're not really a nice group of people people would want to come across at all um so in the area where i live a lot of people were from that group mm. so um there was a lack of diversity it's changed now um and i would say it is a little bit more diverse actually a lot more diverse to be honest but there still are this the part the group that nf group like people mm -hmm. still remain here so there is like i guess like people still wouldn't go to that soccer team and and go and watch a soccer game because they know it's who, who would be there yeah 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 um so a lot of those people a lot of those children um of the parents who were part of that group went to my 
primary or elementary school. Mm -hmm. um, and I, so mixed, being mixed race, so I, like I said, I'm half Jamaican and half white British, but my appearance is, so I'm, my skin is very fair. So I could almost pass, I guess, as being white i have freckles i i don't know a lot of people well like my friends and my boyfriends say that they they do see like some features yeah i can see it yeah but like some people wouldn't they wouldn't see those features at all and of course my hair my hair is afro hair mm -hmm. and it's not like i guess my, like my sister for example so me and my sister have the same mother and father she has a darker skin complexion to me, but her hair is like very different to mine. Her mm -hmm. hair is what I would say is like typically common for mixed um, Jamaican and mixed white. So it's oh, very okay. neutral, very dark in color and easy to handle. My hair is the opposite. It's very light in color. It was actually like a blondish color when I was very young. Mm -hmm. um, and it's very thick. It's, Does it have like a like a twinge of red in it too? Like, is it a little reddish? It's like all different colors. Like, yeah. honestly, it's like brown. Yeah. Red. yeah, it's, it's, I love it, to be honest. It's amazing. I didn't always love it. I had like that trauma from what I'm going to say. You had to go through the thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I went to that elementary school and like I was bullied quite badly because I was mixed race, because I was not the norm. A lot of people in my class had like long blonde hair that was like past their bum and like they had like pretty like little, I don't know, hair ties and like I didn't have that like my mum could just about fit a hair tie around my hair because it was so thick so I was bullied because of my appearance and then when they kind of found out that I was mixed race I remember some girl I was literally probably around seven to eight years old and she just pushed me on the floor and was like I don't like you because your dad is black mm -hmm. so I Did had you how old you were about that time yeah around seven or eight years old so that's exactly what it happened for me too. I don't know what it is about that that period no. of time that that's when kids figure out. I've heard that with a bunch of guests. Really, it's about grade three, yeah. you know, something around there where it starts to happen, and or two or grade two, like it's some about that age. That's when people figure out difference in group. Yes, numbers. yes. And I knew that I was different. I knew that I wasn't like them, and. I was sad. I desperately wanted to fit in as well. That's the sad part about it. Like, mm. I really wanted to be part of that community. I wanted them to embrace me. Like, I was interested in games that you're interested in. I want to play those games too. Like, right. Fun, but you're just racist. So we can't so because we can. you're mean. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, not everyone was like that. And actually my best friend in primary school was white. Um, and she, I'd never experienced anything that was racist from her or her family. Um, and it was nice to have her as like my only friend. And then when I went to secondary school, like high school, it was completely different because it was out outside of the area that I lived. I had to take a bus there. And 
my school was predominantly black. So it was like such a contrast. But then also going there, I experienced other things. Like they were like, so I'd listen to like Lauren Hill when I was younger. And they'll be like, like some of the girls, black girls would come up to me and be like, well, how do you know that song? I'm Mm. like, because I hear it at home. Right. (laughs) so popular (laughs) so uh, when you're in black spaces which i understand are extremely mixed spaces because of the different because all the black people in the uk get to be wherever they're from yeah um are you see are you identified as black Do, do people see you as mixed when they see you black people um they do and i think like i it it's probably the only community that I've ever really felt accepted in Mm, and a part of because like they're like you know you're one of us like you know we get what you're going through you get what we're going through and like there was never any issue like there's this episode I don't know if you watch Insecure but like um I absolutely love this program and there's an episode where um uh Issa Rae is um talking to another girl at her workplace and the girl's coming in for like an interview a job interview and um there's a white colleague there as well and then when the white colleague leaves the room she's like so what is it really like working here yeah (laughs) so it's kind of like that like I have that relationship with um black and other culture as well because it's not just black culture i have this same relationship with filipino friends with asian friends like with a broad range of friends from all different backgrounds because typically is a very similar experience right yeah absolutely i i was curious about that because um that 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 similar dynamic i think exists uh here as well because of my experience is that um, I'm, I just, I describe myself as black first, because even though my, my appearance is, is ambiguous and, and lighter skinned, I, I grew up in black spaces. I grew up in black community and I, I've almost always accepted. Now there are different elements of accepting that is a weird kind of negative in that I was accepted as black, but targeted by light skinned girls because I was lighter than them. And therefore, you know, when when lightness is praised and I'm lighter than them, I become I became a problem. Okay, Um, but I was also unaware of the problem because I could have been cute and not known I was cute back then. You know, like Mm -hmm. I was 14, uh, completely unaware of of how my appearance affected spaces or anything like that. You know, I was just trying to be, I was just trying to be a black girl, but as a mixed girl and then the light skinned girls would have problems with me. So I had a whole lot of dark skinned girls protect me. Okay. And I didn't necessarily understand that what they were protecting me from until a little bit later. And so I was, was like, why can't I have light skinned friends? Like, like, what is it about me? And you know, of course I had to get a little bit older to, to understand that because the way society treated light-skinned girls, um, I, I was lighter than them. So mm-hmm. I had, you know, I would be told like, you think you're better than us or you think you have better hair and all that other kind of stuff. And none of those things were my priority. I always felt, I was always upset that I wasn't darker, you know, that my mm-hmm. hair wasn't curlier, that, you know, all that kind of stuff, because those were the people that I admired. And those were the people that offered me, I guess, protection. I didn't translate that into the reason why I uh, admired or, or lifted up dark skin was because the people who surrounded me and loved me were dark skin. So I associated yes. all the positivity there. Um 
so I was, I'm, it's a weird thing because they see you as black. Like in, in my particular case, I was seen as black. So I was yeah. accepted as black, but in a way that was a little bit more of a threat to blackness because of my mixedness because of my because of how light I was mm-hmm. um, and that was a that was my teenage trauma to deal with you know it's it's not a problem that I really deal with I I don't think I have dealt with it in in ages but um, back then that was that was definitely a problem so yeah. so do you you're maneuvering um, you've had you basically have two different lives at this point you have the life of a of a mixed kid growing up around white people and not being seen or accepted. And then you have uh, your second your second life where you are a mixed kid being in black spaces, being seen as black and mostly accepted. Um, but then you go back out into, or then you go out into the world world. How are you perceived now? Yeah, I think, again, it depends what space I'm in. If I'm yeah. in, if I'm in, for example, a typical British pub and um, I'm around men or women who are not very, I don't know, say it's just a typically white pub. Mm -hmm. They will have conversations around me that are very ignorant and racist without maybe without really realizing that (laughs) I'm half black. Like you're speaking about, a part of my culture like yeah. I don't think they realize that um and even like in it depends so like I said London is so different and it depends who I'm around but for example when I went to university and um my most recent university to study my master's a lot of people are from just out of London so like either Kent or Yorkshire or somewhere that's out of London. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, they, they're they not really exposed to mix or black people or people from any other culture, to be honest. Yes. So they I try to explain this to people. Like when yeah. you leave London, yeah. England is white. <laughs> and if you are a brown person in any of these small towns, even if it surrounds London, like even if wow. it's, you know, 30 yeah. minutes out, you everybody knows you exist uh-huh uh-huh and you are that black person or that yeah. brown person or whatever yeah. i i try to explain because people like it's like that here in the states too and i'm like no 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 not to the degree yeah. that it is over there because if you, even if you go in through a, r- a rural community like a small farming community mm-hmm. in any state in the u.s there is a brown family, maybe even two, and there's probably some mixed folks there. And it could be Asian and, and or or Latinx or or black or and white or whatever. But they've at least seen you before, <laughs> like they've at yeah. least seen brown people before. Um, so it's not like a they still might stare or whatever, but it's it's not like almost being a a zoo animal. Because I went through different little small towns with my fully white British cousin. Mm-hmm. And I, I me with my obviously not fully white self, like not even seen as mixed white. Mm-hmm. And people had all the questions. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you with this white man? Mm-hmm. Why are you standing together? What do you mean your cousins? How does that even work? Like if mm-hmm. you leave London, they're not used to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like my friends, when I'm like, oh, let's go to a spa somewhere. They're like, where is it? And I say where it is. And they're like, is there black people there? Like that's the mm-hmm. first question. That's first the first question. question. 
because they're like, I'm not going there if there isn't because they yeah. know what it's like and I know what it's like and it's uncomfortable because I'm so light people don't really stare at me okay mm-hmm. but if I'm with my my partner or if I'm with friends people will stare us down and I'm yeah. like are you for real like this yeah. is a person they're not an alien like they're not I just don't understand like yeah. what the fascination is but it's literally probably because they've just never had that encounter before mm-hmm. they've just never been around a person of color and so when I went to university and I was around people from who were originally from those kind of like outskirt areas they there was a lot of microaggressions okay so they were like, rubbing my hair they were like yeah they were saying all kinds of things they were like oh so there's this part of London called Peckham and it's predominantly um black but it's predominantly like Nigerian area and um like a couple of the girls were like oh yeah I've been there it's so funny and I was thinking what is funny funny about that area like there's nothing funny at all so there were just things like that and it was bothering me so much like I just couldn't deal and I'm not used to it because people who are actually from London we're not like that like we're all we're all kind of one like apart from that situation that I told you like back in the day growing up here in my area apart from that everybody like Londoner is it, being a Londoner is is like being it's a separate culture. Like we are just right. one. There's London and then there's the rest of the UK. Like we don't really know how the people are outside of London. Like we know how they are. We know that typically they don't really see other cultures. But if you're from London, like you know mostly every culture like your friends with at least people from like I don't know 10 or 20 different cultures like there's no segregation there's no separation if you know what I mean like we're all together as one we're like a community and like actually when Brexit happened most people in London voted to stay it was only the people who were out mostly outside of London who voted to leave so we are we're not with this leave stuff at all like what is leave like how dare you make that choice when you don't even live here this is the capital and we want to stay right why do they have the choice to tell us that they want to leave like and you're not even around the community right how do you make that judgment when you don't even know us yeah and and the thing about london like london is as international a city that that you can that you can go to like yeah even to new york um which would be I guess the equivalent mm-hmm. of a, yeah. a huge mix of 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 US born um you know second third generation um Americans to a large immigrant population like that is a very international city but London in particular is like extremely international where and where people use it as a base to to go to different parts of Europe mm-hmm. because it's it's a it's a you know, especially if you're an English speaker, it's at least an English speaking place that you can be in in Europe and you can you can do your work and travel to all these other other cities. But mm-hmm. compared to to Paris or or anything like that, like you, you really get a sense of literally everybody on the planet. Yes. Is in London. Exactly. Like it's a Paris, super Paris international place. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I was curious about that, too, because like I understand that um, 
<laughs> your guy Johnson it, it was a similar equivalent to when we when we had uh, forty five in our office in in our presidential office, mm. where it was just this idea of of otherness got to get rid of otherness and Mm -hmm. deciding that they're the center of whatever, you know, uh, anything is other from me is out. And, um, and so a lot of things started to shift, I guess, around that time, because the last time I was there, he wasn't in office. So it it was still the sense of, of, I don't know. I, I know I I know a little bit about British politics and things like that, but more so here, obviously, because I, I grew up here. But I at least didn't get the sense that there was um, a lot of radicalized whiteness yet, mm-hmm. or at least that there had been radicalized. There was always radicalized whiteness, but it um, it wasn't the biggest thing that was happening. Whereas, like now here in the states, radicalized whiteness is a really big a big deal. You know, we we have our skinheads as well, but. Now we have this new breed of racist white person or not new breed. They're just out of the closet now, I guess, basically okay. a better way of yeah. saying it is you have your like affluent, educated, mm. racist radicals. And then you have your your working class undereducated mm. um they pit minorities against those poor people. And so that's why they're radicalized racist. You know, like we have both of those going on in big ways at the same time, where it's usually one or the other. (laughs) You usually don't see both of those groups at play on a national stage, the way that, the way that um, we do here now. And like the last time I was, I was in London, I didn't get the sense that that was happening. And then Brexit Brexit happened and a couple Mm -hmm. years later, and I was like, Whoa, when, what what did I miss? (laughs) What, What was, happening um and so i wonder because one thing that i always thought and of course i'm coming at it from the lens of a mixed kid who watches british programming here in the states and has a british grandmother um i always thought being mixed in the uk was i thought that was the promised land of being mixed i thought i could go based off of the programming alone because there was almost always a mixed person not almost always but in a lot of the shows that i watched there was there was sometimes a mixed person they would address it but not in the big way it would usually be like you're half and half right or something like that it would be like Mm -hmm. a mentioning to let you know that this wasn't a full black person this was a mixed person um and so i just thought like oh you know they're not hating on the person and they're and this mixed person is a whole part you know a whole part of the the show and everything like that and so Mm -hmm. i kind of thought it was a little bit of a promised land for that until i went and then um then i realized how unusual i was um, it was like flashbacks of high school all over again of like, what, yeah. what are you? What are you? Um, and especially pitted up against, I'm not often around a full white cousin, you know, the, they're all, my full white cousins are, are in England, uh, Canada and Australia. They, okay. they, the, the ones, my Nana, when she came here to the States because she married a black man, all of my cousins here are mixed also. So this is, a, it's not often that I'm around my, my fully white British cousins. And when I am, uh, with the exception of one of them were not family or relatives. Yeah. You know, so, um, so even the, like coming to my defense was, it wouldn't necessarily be a natural thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because (laughs) there's lack of understanding. Yeah. Like you just, you don't have access to that. And it's the same, like my Japanese cousins, when they finally, we kept it, my, my family had to keep it as well. I was made to keep it a secret that my dad was black to my Japanese family. Um, and once my great grandparents died and we started to tell my cousins that we were black because everybody always asked us, they knew something was going on, but um, we never said uh, when I finally started to tell them that I was black, they, they were, you know, the questions that they have are questions are very ignorant, microaggressive kind of questions, but they're coming from 
from people who don't see black people yeah who literally live on an island that don't include black people or doesn't have many black people so the questions they were asked would be based off of tv mm. are you good at sports do you run fast? Um, was your dad a criminal? Like, you know, like literally the only aspect of blackness that they see that is that is beamed down to them is problematic, either like high achieving athletes or musicians or crime. Mm-hmm. So that's the questions that they had. <laughs> yeah. Um, what about you, like your extended family? Do you have... Um, do you get to experience like both cultures with your family or are you pretty much, was it just your unit, your, your immediate family unit? So my father, I kind of, so my mom and dad separated when I was two years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was due to a very difficult situation um, mm-hmm. that involved um, domestic violence. Um I was predominantly raised by my white side. However, mostly all of my cousins are mixed race. Um, So I had always been around people of colour, people like me. Um, And if I did spend time with my white family, who probably actually, yeah, they live outside of London, most of them. Mm. Um, And my, the family that, do you live in London were the family that had the families or aunties or uncles that had mixed race children. Right. Uh, my aunties and uncles that lived outside of London were predominantly white. Um, and when I go to the countryside to stay at their house, like they didn't really understand like me. And I felt like when I look back at it, I feel kind of sad that that you didn't like they didn't want to learn about how to probably like properly do my hair right. or like understand me or things that I might be sensitive to you know if you're talking about something like just things like that I think that would have made things a lot better because now I like reflect back on it I think like it wasn't considered and it should have been and I think I would have had a different experience if it was yeah there's this there's a weird thing about investigating your childhood right as a mixed person is that you have all these people that you love and who love you and you have your memories of your childhood but then every now and then something pops up and you're like oh shit that was racist um (laughs) you know and then and then you're like dealing you're like traumatized it's almost like you're traumatized for the first time Mm-hmm. But you were actually dealing with this this whole time, and it is it has definitely affected you, your personality development, yeah. your you know, self esteem, things like that. For me, like I, you know, I mentioned the whole my Japanese family, we weren't allowed to tell anybody we were black, um, mm-hmm. and you know that was just kind of a thing. That was what I was raised with, so I wasn't perceiving it as racism. I was perceiving it as. Uh, prejudice or problem and if they just knew then it wouldn't be that big a deal but I I had this fear like a real fear of sharing this information that Mm. the if they knew we were black we would be disowned and and so I didn't want my grandmother to lose her family because just because we're black and things like that so like I complied I was also a child who didn't know not to right but then Mm. as an adult like that really hurts to to realize that these people who I love and who love me and who have treated me as though they love me actually did this really horrendous thing <laughs> in not letting us be who we are and also convincing us to a degree that there was something wrong with us being the way that we were. But it wasn't calculating right. Like it wasn't 
making sense. And so now to deal with it now, it's like, you know, now you have this thing of like both loving this person and being harmed by this person and don't really know like how to feel like what is the okay way to feel about these relationships with these family members of ours that either didn't try to learn, weren't willing to learn, or just flat out could not accept that there wasn't anything bad about Mm -hmm. our situation, you know, like that. um, So it is a weird thing where you're almost like re-traumatized. You almost have to invite trauma in just to deal with like, oh shit, I have something from my childhood. I didn't realize I had to deal with (laughs) I've been, I feel like I've been dealing with that my whole life. Like little episodes, like you said, little things just pop up and I think yeah. about them because I'm quite a deep thinker as well. And then I'm just like, oh, wow, this hurts. That's not nice. Why it's funny too, because did you fight? Did you fight a lot of it when you were younger or do you fight a lot of it now? Because like now you wouldn't be able to shut me up. Yeah. But and back now, then I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't understand it. I didn't know. I didn't. I didn't have the understanding. I didn't have the education. I didn't have the knowledge. I didn't know. You know, sometimes like you can be in an an abusive situation and you might have been in it all of your life and you don't actually know. You don't realize that it is abuse until you step out and you step away or you learn and you know that this isn't right. right. So, yeah, you don't know. And I think it's now as an adult that I kind of look back and I'm just like, wow, like that's crazy and even when I was writing my dissertation so my dissertation was about race and it was um an ethnography account so it was like quite a personal account and Mm -hmm. I felt so emotional writing it because I was like wow I've had to literally deal with so much shit like sorry for saying so much like in my not only at home but um at work or a school or just yeah just you don't escape it 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 there's not a safe space yeah where you know all day long i'm gonna be in this space and i'm not gonna be affected yeah in some way shape or form mm-hmm. 100 percent. even now like i'm just like how do i deal with this <laughs> right mm-hmm. i um it's it's funny too because uh something i'm going through right now is uh, i'm confronting more of the asian identity side of me that i that i didn't realize i really hadn't been addressing because uh similar to how like in london you get to be whatever your cultural heritage is but you're also a londoner um asians are asian here asians are not asian in asia you know you're japanese yeah Yeah. you're indian you know all these things so um so i never identified with being asian even though i was born here and everything because my grandma was a Japanese and I lived in her house for part of my life. So I identified with being Japanese, but she would tell me, you know, you know, you're not Japanese, right? Meaning I'm not nationally, I'm not nat- nationally Japanese. Yeah, yeah. It's more of their identity than ethnically Japanese. Like they're, 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 they're less, cons- they're only concerned about ethnic Japanese-ness when you have a mixed person famous. <laughs> um you know, like uh, Naomi Osaka, okay. she might be even as not Japanese because she's mixed and stuff like that. But she was born there. She speaks the language. She's representing Japan when she when she plays tennis. Um, but somehow she's not Japanese enough, right? Mm. Um, so there's, there's things like that. So here right now I'm dealing with, I'm confronting being Asian for the first time. And re- like, honestly, for the first time. And it's really wow. starting to impact, like, it, there's a lot of pain in it because I'm also mm. dealing with, 
the stuff that I mentioned earlier about my family, you know, I'm thinking about that. I'm also not realizing how Asian I am. You know, I didn't realize mm. like my hair is more, a I knew my hair grew out of my head more Japanese, but as it grows longer, it becomes more obvious that I mix with black. Um, but I shaved my head this year or last year and mm -hmm. I'm growing it back out. And as I'm growing it out, I'm only seeing the Japanese side and I'm not seeing my blackness as much because I have to wear a mask, which covers up my facial features, which now makes me look more Asian than, than black. So I'm dealing with all that stuff. I'm confronting those types of things. And I'm 43 years old. And I'm Mixed Girl main podcaster of a mixed race podcast. Mm -hmm. So for me to be going through like this identity, racial identity crisis in real time, like on my show, I'm as much as I hate experiencing it. I'm also kind of glad that people are getting a chance to hear it, too, because it just shows you like you can be going through this at any age, any time. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how confident or comfortable you are in your mixedness. You could always be going through this. Um, and I say all that to to say like, when you and I spoke the first time, I, I remember you saying, I forget exactly how you said it, but I got the, I got the impression that you, you had feelings of just like, if I cover my hair, could I just walk around and be left alone for a day? Or mm -hmm. do, you know, why do I have to do this just to, just not to feel away or something like that? Uh, do you feel often now too, that um, as, as you're, cause I know that you, you embrace more natural black hairstyles and stuff like that, which I know was a journey. For you to get through and everything yeah. like that but like how are you how are you maneuvering forget about how other people are seeing you how are you maneuvering as a mixed person even now to this day when i get my hair braided in like single plaits or in twists like it takes me about a week to stop feeling anxiety about it mm. because I acknowledge that people are looking at me now differently. I'm I'm acknowledging that people are staring for that little bit longer yeah. than they usually would. Like and they're I'm trying like, to see if the texture is approved yeah, or yeah. anything like that, right? Yeah. And I'm like, why? And then I start to feel a bit conscious about it. But then I guess it only takes me kind of like a week to get over it and I'm just like, whatever, I don't really care. Right. But I guess it is when that change happens, when I first get it done and when I notice the looks and that's what really gets me and I start to feel a little anxious about it. And like my boyfriend notices it as well. He's like, oh, I saw that person staring at you. Mm. So I know that it's not just me because I think sometimes I think, oh, maybe it's just me. Like, this is just in my head. I'm overthinking things. Right. But when other people point things out as well, then you're like, okay, this is actually happening. Right. Some of it can't be denied. I, I know that, you know, being a mixed race podcaster and talking about mixes all the time could probably be exhausting for my non-mixed, you know, friends, family, whatever. Um, but when they see things too, it becomes this thing of like this weird validation of like oh so you're not crazy actually i see it too which is both insulting and mm -mm. yeah redeeming in some kind of a weird way right yeah. where i feel like almost all of our experiences as mixed folks is a version of that where it's it's half validation and half gross <laughs> because someone isn't someone wasn't accepting entirely up until then even if they loved you respected you blah 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 there's just like they need to see it to believe that it exists and um it's unfortunate it's an unfortunate side of of our experience before before we kind of start winding down though i do want to get into a little bit more about like you and cats because yeah. i want i want people to listen to your show 
Uh, but, <laughs> but I also just want to talk about about you and cats because we talked about me and cats. So and and praying honor and tribute to you and what and why I know you now. Uh, talk a little bit about why you created your company and you know your general love of cats. Whatever you want to say. Thank you so much for asking me this. I was wondering if we were gonna like get into cats. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we could have straight up stayed on Mix This Forever, obviously, but you and I share this absolute love and adoration for um, for cats. And uh, so let's let's uh, I mean, literally, I include cat mom as part of my identity when I list yeah. out my identity. So I understand that you would understand that. Um, I do. So let's get into cats. <laughs> oh, cats, cats, cats. What can I say? Like they've been a part of my life for from like as young as I can remember. And like, you know, I spoke about like, you know, the difficulties and the bullying and stuff when I was younger. Like, I, so I didn't have a cat at my house, but my grandma had a cat and I'd go to her house like at least twice a week for like forever um so I practically kind of grew up at her house as well even if it was just for the two days but she had cats and when I'd have those hard weeks at school or I had faced like I had to face the bullies like I just go and spend some time with the cats and honestly like it would make me forget about everything because like they just make you feel so special and they just make you feel like they love you unconditionally. They don't care what you look like. Like they're just so beautiful. Like we can learn so much from them. They're just oh, when I think about them, like oh, it just makes my heart like so happy because I love them so much. But um, so yeah, my my love for cats started from a very young age because, as I mentioned, my grandma had them. And I always wanted to cat, but unfortunately I couldn't have one at my house. My mom didn't allow me to. Not that she didn't love cats because she does, but I don't know why I yeah. wasn't allowed a cat anyway. But um, so, yeah, I'd always had cats in my life. And when my grandma um, passed away, we inherited her cat, which was my cat called Jerry, who passed away. Um, he was euthanized, sorry, um, just at the end of 2020 yeah um so fairly recent um and we had he was 24 years old guys oh my like, gosh yeah 24 like that's crazy. dream <laughs> i know right? yeah. i have a couple of ones that are about to hit 15 and both of them have yeah. couple health things and i'm just like not ready Mm-hmm. Not, ready. Mm -hmm. not ready they they can they're very strong they're very agile mm. um so yeah I had he was in my life from when I was like a young child until like now and I'm like 32 so um he passed when I was 32 years old mm. so that just shows how long he was in my life and he yeah. he was just amazing beautiful cat so caring so considerate never scratched or bit or anything like that um just such a softy and just so loving completely um and it was at university so I went to university I've studied twice so I went for my first BA um which is the undergraduate degree and then I went on to do a master's and during my master's um I was like struggling for money um yeah so <laughs> to find like most people I wanted to find a job that was kind of like flexible and um something that I also enjoyed because I worked in retail for like seven years and 
I mean, it was good, but I didn't enjoy it. Like it wasn't a passion of mine. So um, I was just searching for jobs online, as you do. And I thought, I wonder if I could have a job with a cat like I wonder if there's any jobs in like because I was doing babysitting and I was thinking I wonder if there's anything like do with pets and looking after pets Mm -hmm. because I love to do something like that and then I found I found a cat sitting job and I thought oh my gosh this is like (laughs) I've been waiting for my whole life (laughs) I applied immediately of course and um so it was just like this online kind of like platform where you can kind of join and um you can like make a profile and then people can find you or you can find them and then you kind of like have like a little conversation and then you meet up go to their house meet their cats and then yeah you go from there and I started doing that and I absolutely loved it like it completely changed my life um I was studying at the time, as I mentioned, and it was a particularly stressful period. I did still have my cat around as well, so it was nice to go home to him. But I also had the privilege of meeting other cats, which I absolutely loved. And it was a real... I don't know, game changer. Like it it was just everything that I'd kind of wanted to do. So I kind of built up a client base and um, I felt like it was going really well. I always had this like entrepreneurial spirit in me where Mm -hmm. I kind of felt like I need to have my own business. I want to do something. Like I've worked for people for so long and I'm also fed up of people taking advantage of my time. Right. I want, I am more passionate about my time than money. Okay. So time is very precious to me. And what I loved about, yeah, what I loved about this job was I could choose what I wanted to do. I could choose how many cats I wanted to look after. I could use my time wisely and I I could choose, you know, there wasn't any specific time like at 8am you need to be here. Like, And even if it was 8am that I needed to feed a cat, like it wasn't strenuous. I was literally going to spend time with a cat. I wasn't going to stack shelves. So like, of course I'll be there at that time. Like, this is crazy. Yeah, that makes entirely all the sense to me. (laughs) And like to actually have this job and get paid for it. I was like, you've got to be kidding me because how am I getting paid for this, please? Like this feels... luxury right now okay how is this you a feel job? like it's a scam like i get to yeah. hang out with their pets and they pay me, pay me to do it exactly <laughs> like crazy and i started to make some like good money and i was like what i could have been doing this years ago what have i been i doing? know you're questioning all your life choices it's <laughs> like no. why haven't i been doing this yes amazing so then I kind of thought okay this is great but again I'm working for a company and I feel like if I cut out the middleman and if I do this on my own if I start my own business then it can be completely mine I can choose my values because like it was a big kind of like corporation that I was working for 
So um, I feel like with that, you lose touch in customer service, in client care, in actually caring for the cats. They just view it as kind of like a job where I I saw it more than that. I saw it as me going into someone's home, which is a very personal thing. And you have to have so much trust with this role um, because you're essentially taking part, like taking care of someone's cat, which is their baby. So as a nanny as well, so I also look after children. I know how important it is to parents, you know, to hire the right person. And as a nanny, I've built up a really great, like trustworthy community as well, where I have lots of people asking me if I can babysit their kids. And it's I see the same with cats. Like, why shouldn't it be any different just because they're not a human? Like, right. you should still put that same level of care and respect onto cats and animals, all animals. So um, that's why I also wanted to kind of like cut out the middleman and start my own business. And actually, a lot of the people who kind of booked me through the other service followed me on my own ventures. Oh, awesome. Yeah, amazing. I had a client base. So that's what also kind of gave me the confidence because I had no money to kind of like start a business. I've literally been bootstrapping from the very beginning of like using my own kind of finances to, um, to kind of support this this business and like now today like to skip a long story short like I have 13 employees we have like over 100 clients around London and it's is growing really well um, congratulations I'm so I'm so excited that not only was it something that you could do for yourself but that you could get to the point that you would you would be able to and have to hire other other workers and everything like that that's amazing Yeah, exactly. Because it also gives people a chance to be with cats because actually a lot of the cat sitters who are on my team, they're like, so I have a lot of people who are expats or people who are here to study like from Australia or Spain. And because they live here, there's like this rule in London or in the UK in general right. where you're not allowed to have pets. So they're like, I really miss cats. I miss being around cats. I really want a job with you. I give them the opportunity and they're like, this is the best thing ever. Like they get to like go and spend time with cats after a long day of studying or after working in their job in a, in a supermarket or somewhere else or in the office right. and you get to look after cats like it's not only for me now like I'm actually it's it's for other people like it's a it's a whole community it's like and also it's, a therapy service even though yeah. <laughs> even though that's not it's necessarily an, its intention but it but is it's one of the things that resist um you know, my husband and I wanted to to live abroad. He grew up in England. He's an American, but he grew up in the military base there. I'm, you know, my family's there. I haven't lived abroad yet, but England has one of the stricter, like, bring your animals over rules. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not, I can't part from them. So mm-hmm. that would, you know, that's a preventative thing for why I haven't done it yet. That's a, yeah, I, that's awesome. Especially for the, the um, expats or the students. That's great. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, they love it too. And I'm happy to kind of give that opportunity. I'm happy that I have that like platform or business where I'm able to kind of give those opportunities to people because they love it. Like they they're like, oh, my gosh, I love spending time with these cats. And the cats are so grateful as well. And of course, the clients, because then they build up that trust together and they want to book a game. So it's a win win. That's amazing. And honestly, like I've never thought of using a service yet for for stuff like that. I just have Mm -hmm. like in every city I've ever lived in, I have my cat people. And so like, yeah, we've looked after each other's uh, pets. And here in LA, I have a friend who goes away every Christmas break. And I so I've been 
looking after her cats over mm-hmm. the Christmas break during that time. And, and you know, like there, you do like develop this step parent mentality, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not with them all the time, but I know I have them at Christmas and, you know, yeah. <laughs> or whatever. Um, so like I, I care about what happens to them as well. And, yeah. and so, so that that's an, that's actually you got me. You got me thinking. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm finna move to Houston to build my business up, and um, I mean, you know, you should. it's not all gonna be like money, money, money right away. No, um, no. that's got you know what? There might be a a, a, a Houston chapter of um, what you got going on. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that would be amazing. It's honestly a dream job and I recommend it to anyone. Like like you said, it's therapy and you get paid to have cat therapy? What? You know what I'm saying? This is what I'm trying to say. That's all I'm trying to say is that I'm a person who would very much, like, don't let me have land and a large house because I will 100% have all the cats. As it is, I have four and I'm in a one-bedroom apartment. I did come from a house that's... That's yeah. why we had we had five at the max, but we lost Ronan in 2019. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, like I'm in danger, a hardcore danger of having all the cats. Um, but if I can maintain my little pride and um, get a chance to visit other cats, then that might reduce yeah. the, the amount of potential cat lady craziness that I would develop. Um so I think it's it's amazing that you're doing that you know if if there is room for expansion I would love to expand to places outside of London of course I'm looking to kind of like work on the outskirts of London as well um to get to and even into Europe and even internationally one day which (laughs) we're talking about it um (laughs) no that's amazing and uh I I want everybody to be able to find you but I don't want to accidentally forget to ask the only question that I ask every single guest of Militantly Mixed, and then we'll get back to telling everybody how they can find you and use your service. (laughs) Um, What do you love most about being mixed? What I love most about being mixed, it's the versatility, I think, of being who I want to be and choosing how I am, who I, who I kind of, how I want to represent myself. Um, and people always ask me, you know, oh, what would you rather be? white or black and my answer is neither I want to just be me I want to just be mixed because I think that it's a beautiful thing to be able to have two or more cultures that that you can embrace or be part of like this is just it's it's a blessing and it's it's beautiful because I love having that versatility like I'm I'm more than one person. I feel like I can be like more than one person, <laughs> if that makes sense. Like I can be whoever I want to be, whether that be just me or whether that be like five different versions of me, like is still me and I can right. do that. So yeah, I think what I love most is the versatility. And of course, having hair that's very versatile as well. I love that too. Like before I used to like, I used to hate my hair and that's through past trauma, but I grew to love my hair and I grew to love how versatile it is and how many different styles I can wear. Of course, you know, I'm still going to probably face like those microaggressions or people like staring or trying to touch my hair, which, you know, for me, sadly is inevitable. But I, I just love, I love it. I love every part of me now. I love my freckles. I love my, my big hair and I love being me. Yeah. 
That that's awesome. I I the the hair dirty thing. I swear, like we could do a study on this uh, <laughs> about how a mixed person's hair dirty because I or 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 any even monoracial black person as well would would has this experience too. But like the the mixed person's hair journey and and get going from um, constantly being told there's something wrong about your hair throughout your life to getting to the point that you can love and embrace your own hairstyle. Like if you if we could cut that part out of our childhoods, mm-hmm. <laughs> if we could cut that part out that that you would already love yourself so much entirely and your whole picture throughout your entire life. Um, but because we live in spaces where I, I'm going to say this, it's not going to sound great, but um, the unfortunate side of living in diverse spaces is that mm-hmm. because of otherness and in-group, out-group, whoever is the the person who sees you as an other um, can have such an impact on yeah. making you feel a kind of way about your appearance or your hair or whatever um, when, one, it's none of their damn business, and two, um, who are you to tell me not to love myself? Uh-huh. You know? exactly. But we're too young to have those tools to know mm-hmm. to fight that be back or to or to even just say no but i love this this is fine i'm okay and happy and this is great um but because we do you know as westerners we live in a predominantly white centric society and anything that is outside of that becomes an other and becomes a problem that we now have to deal with instead of them having to deal with um even those of us that are mixed with white and um it's a it's 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 a it's it's beyond the kind of pain that I can really put into words, but I'm always happy when I hear that someone has come to the other side of that. And it's not that you're never going to have problems or, or face microaggressions like the touching. This is also something I can't understand. I'm never curious enough to touch someone's hair. Right. Like if we're not sex partners yeah, and I'm not your hairstylist, mm-hmm. what business do like, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, if I'm, if I'm your partner and we're like on the couch and I'm helping you with your hair for the night, that makes sense to me. If yeah. I'm your hairstylist and I'm helping you with the hair, that makes sense to me. If you're just a random person who walks past me on the mm-hmm. street, I never have had the desire to reach out and touch somebody's hair. It makes no fucking sense to me. I you think? understand. You think, and it's not just like a little touch, like it's a full on. Your it's like a get in there. Yes. <laughs> and like, if you're a person with hair, you should know you wouldn't want someone up in your head. Like, right. so <laughs> what makes you think you can do it? To, I, it's just something. It, yeah. it, 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 I can't even deal with like just flashback <laughs> anger of just like seeing it happen or experiencing uh-huh. it happen. I, I still cannot get past it. Um, but before we wrap up entirely, why don't you let everybody know how to find your cat service and also the Cat Must Day Chronicles podcast. Yes. So we are on Instagram and Facebook at Chatty Cats Care. I like to post like a range of funny cat posts, videos, but also the adorable cats that we look after who are super cute and hilarious. And I recently started a TikTok page as well. So oh, okay, um, let me see yeah. that real quick because I, I do follow and constantly like your, your Instagrams, but let me get on this TikTok right quick. Uh-huh. <laughs> So we're um, on TikTok at Chatty Cats Care. And now that we're starting to slowly get some bookings through, I am now making some TikTok videos of the cats that I look after. Um, And they are so cute, honestly, so cute, adorable, but also really funny because I have like this crazy kind of like sense of humor and I love comedy. So I try to combine the two. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So they're really comical kind of like cat videos. Um, and 
and I love food so I do I'll throw in some food stuff as well I also throw in some food stuff on the cat page even though it's cats like I feel like food is just life for me and the cats. The cats love food. I love food. So food is a big part of um, Chatty Cats Care as well. Um, And yes, the Cat Mass Day Chronicles. So I started this podcast at the beginning of lockdown in the UK. And I started it as like a passion project because, of course, I love cats and um, I love talking about them. But also I was really interested in speaking to people about their entrepreneurial journeys or their like endeavors so um, I decided to combine the two and I interview a variety of interesting and inspiring guests weekly and we speak about their ventures and of course their pets so you know (laughs) it's it's pretty cool it's pretty awesome and it's been like an amazing amazing experience as well I've loved connecting with people from all over the world including yourself (laughs) so um, please do tune in and listen because I think it's great because you know you don't have to you know you might not think you're a cat person but maybe you are after listening to this podcast right but also you don't have to have a pet or or completely love cats to listen to the podcast because it's about a broad range of of different topics as well so honestly what I love about it is is that it's a entirely different way to get to know the guests so like like I said, my audience, they know me as Mixed Girl Maine, and I talk about my own personal mix issues and things like that. Uh, they know that I'm a comic book nerd. I, I lace that in, but I don't go into major, you know, depth about it. I'll say, you know, if you want to know more about me and my comic book life, you can listen to my comic book podcast and, you know, try to get listeners that way, too, or whatever. I have it kind of segmented. Um, I mention my cats constantly. They're definitely a part of my experience or my show. But they're again, I don't stop and just be like, this is an episode about me and my cats. Um, so this was an opportunity, I think, and, you know, and I'm going to tag the episode into the show notes as well oh, for anybody who hasn't listened yeah. to this before, because I tagged it back when back when it aired. But I'll do it again for the, for this one. I, I listened back to it and I was like. I didn't, you know, when you're in the middle of it and you're talking about yourself or whatever for as a guest spot or whatever, you're not necessarily all the way connected to what you're saying. You're like, I think I said so, so, so. And you listen back and you're like, oh, I really do love my baby. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know it was this moment of, of really getting to, it was almost like a, like I was grateful for the opportunity to be mm-hmm. able to share about that other side of me because, you know, I, as a podcaster, you become in danger of becoming a very one dimensional person. If your show is about something very specific, yeah. in my case, you know, militantly mixed is very specific. And even though we're whole people and my slogan is be your mixed ass self. And my push is that you embrace your entire picture of whatever it is that you are, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to <laughs> talk about my cats for hours and hours on end on every episode I'm going to be talking about the topic at hand so I thought it was a it was a nice way for people if they were curious about me at all from listening to the show that they could this would be a way for them to get to know it's so weird because Mm -hmm. you can get to know me better as my in my guest spots than necessarily my episodes because my episodes are about my guests yeah um so it was was a lot of fun and I've been a guest on several podcasts and I've enjoyed I haven't not enjoyed any guest spot I've been on. But in particular, I loved the experience of being on your show because I got to talk about cats, uh, because I love the idea of combining the things that you love. It's the same thing I'm trying to do with my comic book shop with my podcast studio on the back and all that kind of stuff. Like I love that we don't have to settle for 
a thing that makes sense to all the people. Like yeah. me and my comic book shop with a podcast studio on the back makes sense to me. And that's what's important. Uh, when I heard about your show, I was like, oh, that's cute. It's a show to talk about people and cats. And then I listened. I was like, oh, wait, it's about entrepreneurs who happen to also mm-hmm. like I loved it. I don't know. I it's I don't know how to describe it. I really loved it. I loved the experience and I had so much fun. And um, full disclosure, I think I've listened to the episode like four times, <laughs> even though it's me. Um <laughs> Because I loved, I love the concept of it, and I do. You're on my regular rotation, so I do listen to your show. But I also like, I have listened to my episode a few times. (laughs) This makes me so happy. Like I'm literally smiling. This is hilarious. I love you. I love it. I love it. I do. I appreciate it so much. And I've told people about it. I've mentioned it on the show, of course, but I've told people about it. I have several cat friends and I'm like, listen, use my episode as a gateway drug, but then (laughs) you'll learn about these other people and their cats. Um, So I really enjoy it. And I I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your experience. And when it is finally safe for us to travel again, and I do make it back to London, I do hope that I'll get a chance to actually meet you and some of the cats in uh, in person. Yeah, definitely. And definitely the cats. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like, I'm not kidding. Like, I'm just not blowing smoke. I follow (laughs) Chatty Cats Care on Instagram. I I like and sometimes engage. Um, The cat pictures you post are awesome um i you know i mean i also follow a few people's cats um igs i don't have a cat ig for mine it's just that mine has a lot of cats on it so it's like it is it's my cats it is what it is but like i it's it's not i'm so glad that you found my page and and eventually the show and invited me as a guest because it's actually something that's now part of my routine is getting a chance to pay attention to to the chatty cats care instagram and the show i enjoy i do i i mean it's cats like of course you're making me blush. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh. I mean, seriously, like a mixed black Brit who also is into cats and is a podcaster. Um, it, what else? What, you like food? I like food. Let's go all the way through London and go play with all the cats. So. Please. Please. <laughs> I'm making this happen. <laughs> Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan, the one. You can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. If you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantly mixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash militantly mixed for a one-time only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.